Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to Friday's Blood Red podcast. It's been quite the week for Liverpool uh, and we will get stuck into that pretty much straight away. Sean Bradbury back on hosting duties and joining me, I'm delighted to say, we've got the return of the two big guns. It's basically the Echoes, Simon Hooper and Darren England. Uh, <laughs> like, you boys. We have. Am I Simon Hooper by any well, chance? I'll, I'll I wonder you, why I would be Simon Hooper. For the honour yeah. of those two. Uh, but yeah, we have, well, you just said, and we have Ian Doyle, we have Paul Gorse. Doyle, back on the pod. Nice yes. to see you back. How are you? In a while. Yeah, um, okay, actually, which yeah. is unusual for me. Yeah, but it is Friday and I'm off tomorrow, so ah, well, there you go. There we go. Big, big answer to the weekend. Gorsley, how are you? All good, yeah. Um, like Doily, I've been on for a while. I think I've been yeah. off for a week, haven't I? So it's, um, let's get back on and just vent and, <laughs> and um, muse and whatever else, so we'll get stuck into it. Well, this is it. Vent and muse, we shall. And what better to vent and muse about than the wind and the clock back to Tuesday and talking about the audio release? So we, we did Monday's pod. Um, four of us and there was a lot of talk about obviously the incidents at the weekend VAR in general but this was all pre-audio and I think to be fair most of what was being reported about the audio that we assumed did come to pass but I just want to start by getting reaction from you guys obviously you'll listen to it what um, we'll start with you what did you make of this I mean can you believe it so many voices no smooth process yeah I mean just listening to it you're getting stressed out just from hearing all the voices so I can't imagine what it's like to be in there in the thick of it and you've got to make a decision in X amount of time. It was just disorienting, wasn't it? Just listening to the audio over the footage of Diaz slamming the goal past uh, Vicario was in a goal. Um, but the one that the one that really got me is why is the pro- this protocol so sacred that you can't say, hang on, yeah. Why why does that overrule the fact that it was a perfectly good goal and the goal should be given? I just don't get why you can't say little break in play, clear our heads, assess the situation, hang on, that was a goal. Bring it back, give the goal, Liverpool, you know, one nil kick off. I just don't get why the fact that for whatever reason you're not allowed to, to pause a game and take it back, why that takes precedence over the serious point of giving the right decision and arriving at the right decision, that's what VAR is, is here for, isn't it? And when when they're getting that wrong, then you might as well just rip it all up and leave it and just ignore it and just go back to the old ways of a referee who make, makes decisions and whatever happens is on him and you move on and you have a bit of a grumble and a couple of days later you accept it. Because when VAR is in, and I hate talking about VAR, I really do, and, you know, I think sometimes it just takes up too much of the discourse in general on exactly. Match of the Day or, or Sky or whatever, and... 
the footballing layman isn't really learning anything because all there is is now let's talk about this decision, now let's talk about that decision. No one's learning anything about actual football, you know, mm. the tactics and whatever else. So I hate talking about it as a rule of thumb. But when the areas are so egregious, so in your face and obvious, you have to, don't you? Um, but for me, I just don't get how this protocol somehow overrides the fact that you've got to get the decision right, yeah. and they haven't. Although I think this is the key point, isn't it, Doyle? And I found it remarkable, this is that, that the two men who seemingly did try and make the common sense decision or try to push for it, at least, that you know, stop the game, delay the game and have a, have a sensible conversation about it because clearly something had gone hugely wrong with the replay operator who, uh, from what I've read of the national media, doesn't actually normally speak in these situations. He's, you know, seen him, seen but not heard and he's doing the lines and all that. But he was kind of saying, lads, are we, are we happy with this? Are we yeah. happy with what's happening? And then there was the guy, I think he's like the, the hub operations executive, the, the mysterious Ollie. But, but these two were, were trying to say to the, you know, the actual VAR and the assistant VAR, and I don't want to dig that, them out too much, obviously, you know, you can see from that audio that it's just an unfortunate error, isn't it? There's no, there's no conspiracy theory at all. For, for me, it's it's just it's just p- plain old miscommunication. But but why then were, were those two trying to do something about it, and the others instantly saying, "I can't do anything"? I think. But what first of all was quite funny is that me and you had the conversation, didn't we? On Monday, we said, "Wouldn't it be funny if we did like an, an article yeah. just just kind of suggesting <laughs> what they might be saying?" Yeah. We obviously that was never going to get printed, and then when we actually then heard it, it was like, "This is way worse than anything <laughs> we could possibly yeah. <laughs> we could have come up with." It's just like it's like having a meltdown just in real time, wasn't it? Just like mm. listening in on someone, and just you can just hear everybody's like brain taking over. Where one by one they go, "Oh no." Yeah. Absolutely messed oh, this up. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Now, the thing about that is, obviously, the conversation is why are there so many people involved? Is this what happens every time they do an offside? It seems as though they were more concerned in getting the decision over as quickly as possible because mm. uh, they have, you know, let's be honest, we've all done it. We've all said VAR's ruining the game because it's taking forever to come to a decision, so yeah. you can't then turn around and complain and say, why are they doing them so quickly? You know what I mean? But you've got to get it right. It was a miscommunication, as you said. It wasn't any kind of conspiracy or anything. But picking up on what Gorsi said about when they realised that it's gone wrong, I do think what's happened here is that between them all, the referee, uh, Darren England, the main two, let's be honest, mm. because that's the, obviously the main on-field referee, Plowniper, and the, the main VAR, that they have kind of panicked and not so much common sense has gone out the window, but they've just thought, we're in trouble we can't make this any worse. We're just going to have to carry on. Whereas what they should have done, let alone stop the game and, and you know, because they could argue and say, well, the game's gone on for a bit more. We can't just now remove that passage of play where the throne was taken or whatever it was, the freak it was, and then it was a throne, I think there was. They could have just stopped the game, went over to the managers, called them together, said, look, this has happened and we haven't given this goal. Yeah. So what they could have then done is, right, have this conversation between yourselves, but we would advise Tottenham, you let Liverpool... Diaz just run through on his own and tap the ball into the empty net. But before that, we've got to communicate it to the stadium. So that's the other thing we had, you know, the other thing that you didn't see at home is that no one in the stadium knew what was going on. They just thought it's offside. And we saw in the press box the one replay of it. Just the one, and I think at home everybody saw the one replay at first. Where you went, that looks a little bit yeah. onside. Yeah. But the other issue that's come out of this is. Everyone then thought, well, there must be another angle because they've given offside and they do all the checks, so it must be a goal. It must be offside, sorry, so it can't be a goal. 
And that trust, which they didn't have at the beginning, back in 2019, was it, when they, when they brought in VAR, that they now have certainly for offside decisions, it's gone now. Mm. And it's going to take them forever to come up with, the, you know, to double check everything, and then we're going to go right back to where we started. So that's yeah. one issue. But yeah, going back to the whole common sense thing, we've seen it like Leeds played Aston Villa, didn't they, in the, in the playoffs to the year, where I can't remember what happened. Leeds scored a goal that shouldn't have been, shouldn't they? I, th- I can't remember what, how, how it came about. And then so Villa had to go and score a goal. And we had the scenario where the Leeds player still tried to, to okay. cut the Aston Villa player in half, he was <laughs> tapping into the net. Um, but that could easily have happened. Mm. But it's the communication inside the stadium would have been the issue. Somebody would have to go on the tannoy or whatever and say, look, this has happened, VAR have made a mistake. Both managers have got together, we've decided to allow Luis Diaz to, to score his goal as it should have been allowed 1-0, and there you go. And then there wouldn't have been any problem. And I, don't, I think at the time people would have gone, what's that all about? Yeah. But it would have also avoided then everything else that's come afterwards because it would have been yeah look at this mistake but they rectified it so they can learn from this rather than they've made this massive mistake and now as we're going to come up to in a minute we're <laughs> very very, yeah, soon. very very soon we're discussing things on Wednesday where Jurgen Klopp decides well you know it's it's I'd rather something happened. Well, you very, very neatly led us on to this because yeah why forward 24 hours or, or not even that after the audio release and and Klopp is well, look, I'll come to you. I'll stay with you actually on this one, Doyle, because okay. I want to establish first of all what Klopp was saying and what, what, what you believe he was saying, because I think it's one of those, isn't it, where it, he introduced the idea or the notion of the replay, and it was, I was going to say it was unprompted. The question that was asked to him was actually about, it was quite general, wasn't it? And then he just kind of... Well, he wouldn't have known he was coming. He wouldn't have oh, known yeah, he was coming. Yeah, I suppose. And, and, true. and what was interesting is that Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously did the, the player press conference yeah. directly before it. And he got asked the question, he's like, well, it's just one of those things. Some decisions go against you, you know. Basically, right, playing a straight bat, you know, on the fence, right yeah. right along the line. And then, you know, get get off the stage. Klopp turns up and goes, yeah, let's have a replay. And it's like, <laughs> what? And we were all, we, as a journalist, we were like, well, well this wow. is incredible, yeah. Also, I've got a load of work to do now. So thank you, Egan. <laughs> but, um, yes, what was he well, saying? Well, what, yeah, he did, he, he said, didn't he? He said, I think, as speaking as not just the manager of Liverpool, yeah. but as a football person, I think we should have a replay, although we almost, you know, we probably won't get one. So I think even there he's gone, look, I think we should have a replay, but we're not going to get one. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everybody then thought <coughs> he's demanding a replay, yeah. which is too strong. I think it's fair to say that. He didn't say that well, that was all. always going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, with, the, with the profile of yeah. whatever. Yeah. So he was the one who suggested it, as you say, unprompted. <coughs> no one said they should have a replay. He just came out and said it, didn't he? Because he yeah. asked about the thing. So... That's how it came about, and of course, the minute that he said that, then a load of questions came on the replay. Yeah, on on what do you mean about the replay? Just you the club looking at it, this, that, and the other. So he kind of set that particular agenda. One thing I would say is that he also said, "Let's not go for Darren England or the VAR yeah, ref." Absolutely. He said all of that. He says, "Look, we've all heard the audio, and we know it was a mistake. There's nothing more to it than that." And they probably felt absolutely terrible that night. But since Klopp said the replay thing, hardly anybody's talking about Darren England. Mm-hmm. They're all talking about Klopp and the replay. So maybe Darren England and Simon Hooper should you know, give Klopp a bell and say, thanks a lot for that. You're taking the heat off us a little bit. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, see, this is it. Because I think, as we've said, in no way did Klopp demand one. You could maybe argue he called for one. He suggested a replay. He said that, you know, as Dias Doyle said, in, in kind of 
his fairness as he sees it and, and how you deal with that situation in the future. If common sense wasn't applied, he, he would back a replay. But I, I just think there was so much more to it than that in terms of like the context that was put on the situation. Yeah, well, yeah. And you know, yeah. I, I, I would go so far as to say since it happened, I've been surprised by, you know, if you first look at the kind of media interviews after the game itself, I think Klopp's been kind of very composed in all this. You know, he hasn't lost it. And if there's been a pugnacious kind of front foot response, it came from Liverpool's statement itself on the Sunday night. Whereas the manager, as Donny Reddy says, has, has been at pains to say, you know, we shouldn't go after individuals here, but but we do need to discuss this situation. Yeah, well, I think he's been burnt from speaking out about Paul Seyri in the legs previously, as mm. over the last six months or so, when his bank account's certainly been affected by that. And I think that is probably at the forefront of his thinking, if we're being honest. Not necessarily from a financial point of view, but if he, if he gets hit with a, you know, an improper conduct charge again or, or whatever it is, then it just looks like Klopp has just got to be in his about yeah. these refs from the, you know, from the outside looking in or from a distance. So I think he's been measured in him saying that and getting the club to front up a bit more with the statements because it, it looks more powerful, doesn't it, when Liverpool release a yeah. big statements on their website Sunday night. You know, this is club mandated rather than just these are the whims of a manager on a post-match defeat and that can just get lost in the news cycle and whatever else. So I think I think they've handled it well. From that point of view, the replay thing for me is, is, is a non-starter. I mean, you know, Klopp is in well what he says, you know, it probably should be the right thing in that it was a bit of an unprecedented error and whatever else. But I don't think he seriously thinks that that is what will happen. No. I just hope the... The whole situation of it now isn't drowned out by the replay prospect. I think there's more to it in terms of the officials being put on the toes to make meaningful changes to how they have their conducts and reviews and whatever else. There needs to be a bit more clarity in the VAR hub because I've, I've re, as we've all heard, it's, it's confusing, isn't it? There needs to be probably a, a mandate that these officials can't fly to the United Arab Emirates to yeah. referee a game on a Thursday before flying back on a Friday ahead of you know a massive weekend. You know how much of that was a, was an impact in their kind of clouded thinking, their judgments. We'll never know, will be, but surely it can't be conducive towards being at your best. You know you you wouldn't expect it of a player. It, so why why is it a thing for referees? So maybe that is something they can introduce. Um, but just an effort to improve. The standards really because and we moan about it every week and whatever else and sometimes you can understand that sometimes you can see where they've got a point but this is just an absolute cut and dried black and white yeah. yes or no and they've still somehow managed to get it wrong so um i think if there is any any real fallout from it all long term it should be a benefit to every every club in the prem really mm. one thing well, a couple of things i would say one very disappointed in the reaction of some people who should know an awful lot better. Obviously, on Saturday night, almost everybody's like, oh, it's an absolutely terrible mm. thing. You know, Liverpool, there was a lot of sympathy, if that's too not too strong a word for Liverpool, and what happened. But then the minute that they say, and now, well, we actually want to do something about this, yeah. those people went, oh, no, oh, no, you can't, you do, can't that. do that. Yeah. What are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I, su- I support name of other club. You know, you could, we have we this, have X, we have X, Y, Z, you know. We could all moan until the cows come home, but like, then yeah. but don't try and do anything about it. Well, the thing yeah. is, is that it's very rare that you actually see a goal get given. You, you've heard a goal get given by officials who decide whether a goal gets given, and then the goal didn't get given. It's like, well, when's that ever happened before? Yeah. It doesn't really happen. And People would, would, I don't know whether it was deliberately ignorant or, or just, I don't know what, but people were conflating it with decisions they disagreed with on the ref. Like, well, that was never a penalty. That, were, that wasn't on ball. 
that was that should have been offside when they they've done it properly, and it it was nothing of the sort. Yeah. It, it was just a totally. It was a matter of fact, almost yeah, subjective yeah. decision. It was like, and it was made, and they, they they did it so quickly that it was like it was so obvious. That's what made it all the more stupid. Mm. And the other thing that I was thought thought was quite interesting, which you kind of picked up from listening to the audio, is that being a VAR referee is totally different to being an actual referee. Oh, skill so set, you have to, everything. Well, this is the thing, and so there's been a bit of conversation that perhaps there shouldn't be, you know, referees should. It's a difficult one, really, isn't it? Because really, you want the VAR referee to have refereed or. But maybe you could have them just specifically then later in their careers as VAR reps, mm. or at some point where they go right. You're just going to do that for the next two, three years, or whatever. One thing I did find interesting is that then you know everybody was looking up the PGMOL on Wikipedia and looking well, who are all these people? You know we know Howard Webb. Who's everybody else? Shadowy. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, is that there was loads of names that you recognise. They've all got these like random jobs. Like I think uh, football consultants. One of them was Chris Kawami used to play for Ipswich. Yeah. 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 And Wayne Allison used to play for Tramier. Mm. He's involved there as well. But a name that caught my eye, because obviously I'm a, a big rugby league fan coming from St. Helens, best team in the world, by the way. <laughs> Hopefully they win tonight. Um, Phil Bentham was a former rugby league referee, and they've had video, like rugby and like cricket, they've had video reviews and replays for years. It's, in fact, it's become part of the sport, if that makes sense. Mm. It's, it's, it's one where, I think next season, the interesting thing for rugby league is that it only goes for televised games, but now they're just, from next season, I think they've decided, or possibly the season after that, they're doing it for all the games because it's unfair that you can have some games where, you know, you've seen it like the champion, I can't remember, the championship doesn't have VR, does it? I can't remember now. I don't think Do they so. Have it now or not? Well, basically, in that one specific league, some games have VAR, some don't, but now they decide that all of them are going to do. But he is now working for the PGMOL, this Phil Bentham, as a VAR coach. So they've obviously recognised that to use VAR and use it effectively is different to being an actual referee, which it is. And they're trying to train people up accordingly, but it's obvious that from what we've seen and some of the other, other mistakes that's been made, and we haven't even mentioned the Curtis Jones said they don't know what, what Klopp said about the freeze frame and all that kind of stuff, that it has to be used in the right way. And I think you'd have to say that more of that's needed because while they've obviously made the steps to go towards that and have recognised that it's an issue, more needs to be done. And that's just something that happens. You know, nothing starts off perfect. Well, they, they don't have it in the League Cup, do they? And, and I don't remember being in a League Cup game in the last few years thinking it's an absolute injustice no. that they haven't had VAR there tonight. You know, X would have happened if VAR would have been in there. You just get on with it. What's, interesting, what's interesting, though, is it could be a generational thing because we're all of a certain age where there was no VAR. Mm. But if you're like seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, and then in the next five, six, seven years, and VAR's everywhere, and then there's a game where it isn't, they might be like, what's going on here? You know, it's, it's, the, old, it's the old thing of, uh, you know, what, what a foul for us is, is totally different to what a, say, you could say yeah. 18, 19, 20-year-old yeah, younger yeah. footballer just starting out. Like, Jarrell Quanta might think that something's a foul, and we just go, well, that's not a foul. What are you talking about? But, but, but I do like the automated offside that they have in the Champions League. That seems yeah, a lot, that in the World Cup as a well, lot isn't it? easier yeah. to, to sort. Yeah, surely I, that's... The, the other night, I was watching Newcastle against Paris Saint-Germain, and is it Guimaraes puts the cross in for Dan Byrne, and, and you're looking at it, you think, oh, I'm not sure whether that was offside, where's his foot? And then they just do the automated thing, and you think, oh, yeah, he's well onside there, oh, two yeah. yards, goal stands, no bother. Mm. Um, that goes back to the trust thing we were saying before, though. That yeah. at the moment there is that up until Saturday they hit the yeah, I did have the trust on offside. Yeah, yeah. And now they've lost that. it a little bit. But it seems a lot. Seems they seem to get there a lot. They seem to take the longer route to get to where yeah. this automated mm -hmm. system does. And look, I think the Premier League clubs voted against it, didn't they? You need a you need a fourteen team agreement before any rule like that gets pushed through. And I don't think it it was so. 
um, that's on them. But it, it does seem a lot um, quicker and, and an easier process. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely. Well, a lot of sensible stuff there. If only you lads were down in England and Simon Hooper. No, I, I, I could be Howard Webb. We'll get it all would, sorted. Would, would not want that. <laughs> um, well, well, we'll draw a line under that and we'll wind on another 24 hours in this in this action-packed week and look at the game last night. So, Gorsi, I'll come to you first on this. I think um, I left Anfield thinking that was just a game that you forget about and you, you just you, you tick off. It's, it's one yeah. of those in the group stage that you think, you know... Um, Happy enough to see a game that was quite standard, to be honest, after yeah, all the drama we yeah. just talked about on Saturday. But I think they just, it was an exercise in doing just enough, really, wasn't it, by the Reds? It was. I don't think Liverpool have done too many of them in a while, really. Mm. Um, you know, games were you know, really too concerned. That. And even even last night, for the last like 15 minutes, you're thinking, can these, can these nick a goal? Because Liverpool just hadn't put, put the game to bed and it was still live, wasn't it? Till Jota scores the second. But yeah, pretty routine. Um, run of the mill home victory against a team who not one of the leading lights in European football are they? and I think it was a big um, a big indicator as to you know Liverpool having made the bed and now having to lie in it in terms of the Europa League you look at Newcastle on Wednesday night uh, or Tuesday night was it and you know City's absolutely on fire because the Paris Saint-Germain are in town it's the first game in Champions League for years and the atmosphere was electric there and you're watching that little bit of a twinge of, of jealousy, really, thinking, you know, these are normally the nights that Liverpool get to have, and it <clears throat> might be until, um, well, next season before they do, maybe if we kind of get similar types of atmosphere for semi-finals of the Europa League, we'll see later in the year, but, um, yeah, it's the good thing with the Europa League now is Klopp makes snide changes yesterday and still got a, a strong team out, and there's no one in there who you're looking at thinking, not sure about him, you know, it's a big night for him or whatever else, but um, other than that, fairly standard, they're, they're firmly in control now, Group B, aren't they, and you're expecting them to get through without too many problems, and I think Liverpool have almost mastered group stage football in Europe, yeah. I think it's now 13 from 14 wins, going back to the start of the, the season when they got the Champions League final, I think the only game they've lost in that run, or haven't won, was the one when they got battered in Nap- Napoli, mm. that's 13 months ago now, so yeah, they seem to know the way around the group stages and then if they can navigate it without too much or using too many of the big guns too early, I think um, they'll find themselves in a really good position in the new year for it, you know, to bring on whoever's in that competition because I think Liverpool quite rightly should see themselves as one of the favourites. Mm, absolutely. We, we were talking, Doyle, before the pod about the idea of topping the group and how important it is because you play one less game. Two, you well, two less games, games. Of yeah. course, yeah, with the double leg of qualifiers. So... That that's massive, isn't it? And I think that perhaps explains why, you know, okay, nine, nine changes and, and would have been ten, I suppose, if if Callahan yeah. had, mm. had been fit. But but still, as as Gorsi says, a strong team like Salah was one I didn't expect to see starting, and you know, quite a few of those players who you would expect to maybe start at the weekend. But despite all that, they're going great guns. as two wins from two, and a lot of players, especially last night, I think when you when you reconsider the game, who have done themselves quite a lot, like quite a lot of credit there. I'd say Endo, Gravenberch, and, and maybe some others. You've got to bear in mind that Liverpool are in a, a bit of a lucky situation to a point. They only had was it three players. Well, Callagher was four. So you had Callagher, Gakpo, Thiago, Besetic. Mm. Have I missed anyone else? Uh, Bradley. Yeah, yeah, but Bradley's not really not, played. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would have counted yeah. that, yeah. Um, so they only had four missing. Mm. So they, they are able to change players around, and the longer that, that Klopp can do this, 
He'll be able to do it even more if the if the as you mentioned, if they wrap up the the group as as soon as possible. So if they've got all these players available, in fact, Klopp even said it in the press conference last night. He says, "We've got this squad. We're playing on f- four different competitions, or we're going to be fl- playing for four different competitions with the FA Cup in uh, in January. Why on earth would we not use all of these players? You know, it's like I'm not making any complaints." Or excuses for making. I made eleven changes for the first group game. It was as you say it would have been ten. How many was it for the Leicester game? Oh, can't remember now. It, it, it was, was a lot. It was though, high, yeah. it was eight and nine. It was a lot yeah. though. And they've won all three games mm. by two goals, reasonably comfortably. Although towards the end of the game, a bit weird the game on Thursday. It became like for about ten minutes towards the end, it was like a little basketball game, wasn't it? It was like one end to the other, and you're thinking, what's going on here? Because in the first 10-15 minutes, it became obvious that Liverpool were way better. Mm. Way the better team, which you would expect for the standard of player they had out, even if they weren't you know, used to playing with each other. But that's what made the first 25 minutes so interesting, because the combinations, some of them were really, really good. You look at Nunes, I know he did the miss, but otherwise yeah. he was, he had a, I thought he had a good game. You know, Salah was decent as he always is. You know, the keeper had to make a good save really early on. Then you mentioned some of the other players, you know, Quanta. Quanta was, he's come from start of the year, went on loan. Was it Bristol Rovers? Then he played for England in the twenty World Cup. Then he comes back, plays a few games in the summer, and you think, well, you know, not too bad. Then he comes on against Newcastle, and suddenly you get that impression. Well, he's just come on against Newcastle when they're down to ten and they're losing one nil. So they win two one, and he made a couple of good challenges. Comes on against Villa towards the end, then he gave them the, opp- the, the opportunity against Wolves, where mm. we were there. He didn't ever look like you were thinking, oh no, is this young lad playing centre back? And I think that's the best thing you can say about him is that when he was named in the starting lineup on Thursday, yeah. not a single person went, oh, Quanta. Oh, it was just like, oh, Quanta, you know. He's, yeah. It's almost like It'll he's already been accepted as one of the options at centre-back. Yeah. Which, bear in mind, that on this podcast, well, certainly from me, I was banging on all oh, summer. So yeah, yeah. So I'll say, by centre-back, by centre-back, yeah. by centre-back. Mm. But I wonder whether or not, I may mention this on a previous podcast, that they wanted to sign, as you reported a long time ago, Cole from, from Chelsea. He played for the England 21s and he got to the final in the, and won it didn't he, in, in, against Spain in the other 21 tournament. Didn't concede the goal in that yeah. tournament, mm-hmm. did he? And Quanta was playing in the World Cup and whether they looked at him there and went, well, he's done really well at international tournaments. And I know Cole was playing in the, in the Premier League for Brighton, but he's done just as well as he is. Admittedly, a different, slightly different level, different age group. You'd think more experienced players on the under 21s. And I think they probably looked at that and went, well, why don't we just give him a chance? And when they gave him a chance in the summer, so well, you know, it's centre back isn't a priority. We couldn't get in the one we wanted. We got this young lad here who's come through the system, did pretty well at Bristol Rovers. Again, he's got some senior experience, but not like at the top level. And every time he's been given an opportunity, as we say, he, in like second half he came off against. They brought on a, the lad Rodriguez, yeah, didn't he? And he, test, yeah. and he was a bit of a big lad, and he kind of knocked him off the ball a couple of yeah. times. You know, a couple of good challenges, and you never thought that. It was ever going to be an issue for him. I mean, he's going to make mistakes. Young centre back, them all all centre backs make mistakes. And when you're a youngster like that and you're still proving yourself, every mistake you make is is magnified even greater. So there will come a point where he he makes a bad error, and then it's interesting to see how he'll overcome that. But he just he doesn't strike me as somebody's going to be overly bothered by it. Uh, and of course, he's got his England under twenty one call up straight away. The minute he's he's, he's out the under twenty, he's straight into the under twenty one. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I, I, I was speaking to someone recently about Kwanzaa actually, and they were saying he's a bit of a bit of a shining light for players in the academy now because 
you know, if Liverpool would have just gone and brought in a fifth centre back there in the summer, which I think, you know, I think we were all calling for it at one yeah. point or another, weren't we? That is just, you know, a, a, a big two fingers up to the lads who were on the cusp of trying to break through. It's like, well, I'm getting to a certain level, and then when I do, they go and bring in a player who they might not even play much, you know, a fifth choice centre back, but that's knocked me further down the pecking order. Opportunities now are going to be limited. And maybe that resonates with players at that kind of level where they're looking at it and thinking, well, where am I to get in? And they think, well, I'm not going to go to Liverpool because they just bring in a player as, as soon as they need one and they don't give any young lads an opportunity. Um, so maybe that is something that Liverpool can um, can kind of use. You know, you know, when they're, they're looking to recruit kind of best young players across the country, you know, the likes of Kay Gordon and Ben Doak and... Um, there's a few others in, in that list recently, isn't it? Bobby, Bobby Clark. Clark, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very much, you know, that is a policy of the bill to, to do that mm. uh, with Matt Newbury's head of academy recruitment. So they can look to the likes of, of Quans and I and say, look, if you get to a certain point, you go on pre-season with them, you impress, you could find yourself playing in, in, in Europe alongside Van Dijk or whatever it is, you know, Ben Dog starting on the right at, at Linz, didn't he? So I think these types of stories... Uh, important for Liverpool mm. um, and like Doody says you know you're not looking at Quans and Al at the moment and thinking you know why didn't Liverpool go and spend 50 million on Levi Colwell in the mm. summer um, who I'm sure will be a, a top defender in the coming years himself but um, so far it's early days of course but so far it looks like he's doing really well and, and um, you have no um, qualms with them starting really other thing about Liverpool certainly Klopp is that he must be about the fourth centre back that they've brought in from the academy Nat Phillips is one yeah. Reese Williams yeah. and Billy Cometio what you'd say Williams and Phillips Williams was brought in at a very emergency situation and did pretty well uh, Phillips kind of the same and then stuck around because he'd proven himself Cometio got one or two chances because he did okay again on, on a Summer, I think it was the COVID summer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Where he could, and then he think yeah. he, he played the game, did he against Leicester? It hasn't been seen since then in the first team, anyway. But with Quanta, it's like he's immediately gone in, and now he's in there in merit. You think you yeah. look at him, and you automatically now think, as I said before, he's one of these options out of centre back. Yeah, it's not like where you think. Yeah, Nat Phillips was an option, but he's quite clearly the fifth one. Where Reese Williams, when everybody got fit, he was probably not going to be an option. Which it ended up being the case. You know, Billy Cometti wasn't—he he wasn't one because he was mm. never—he was never up to the level of the other two. But with Quanta, he is, and he's only twenty. And for centre backs, that—that is very young. I mean, you look at—you know—Joe Gomez. How's Joe Gomez? 25, 26, 26 now. Yeah. And admittedly, what was he? Twenty was three years ago, so he must have been 23, 22, 23 when he was in the team that won the league. Mm-hmm. So he's Quanta's still got another couple of years before he's going to get up to that level so be interesting to see what happens in the summer because obviously Joe Matip's out of contract mm. and I don't think he's not he's probably not going to sign anywhere I'm trying to remember whether I read somewhere yeah, no, he, 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 he said recently yeah. he'd be happy to yeah mm. but um, that's right no, yeah but he might not Liverpool then might have to bring in a centre back but then they're left with a decision like well what kind of centre back do we bring yeah. in because if Quanta carries on the way that he has been doing and let's be honest he's only played started three three games now for Liverpool so he's still very very early on so it's up to him what happens next mm. because he's he's proven himself to Klopp that he's someone he can be counted on so it's up to him to just keep on doing it. I think the, the Carwell comparison's a, a relevant one because he only played 18 and 19 times for Brighton last season. It wasn't like he was playing every week no. in that Brighton side that was, you know, sweeping everyone before them and ended up finishing sixth remarkably in the Premier League. 
Um, I think once was up to about seven, seven or eight appearances now for Liverpool. Different expectations, of course. You know, is there really a desperate need to to sign Colwell when you look at Quanza's emergence? And you know, at times, you know, it's easy for us to say that with hindsight. And at times we were calling for um, for a centre back, weren't we? But um, Quanza's certainly emerged from that. You know, disappointments, I guess, of not signing a centre back, and um, it looks so far so good. Let's be honest, it's not part of a big, major, massive plan, long term plan that Liverpool had. They mm. wanted to sign a centre back in the yeah, summer, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. let's be clear it's, about it's that. Clear, but it? then it is then, then how many youngsters have, have come through through a bit of circumstance, through a bit of chance. Look at all the ones that came through in the late 90s, that's because the team wasn't very Even good. Even Trent, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, Trent as well. Yeah, Trent, he, he, he got his chance. Was it, I know he played in the League Cup, was it? Klein got injured for United and then he played in that game. Yeah, that was it, yeah. On the day of the game, wasn't it? Or something. So, you know, that it is about these youngsters getting the opportunity and taking it. And I think we're going to see, I personally think, Bobby Clark will be someone like that. Mm. You know, further down the line, when he gets more opportunities and Ben Doak's going to end up being someone like that as well. Yeah, so it's absolutely. on them. It's very exciting. We'll, we'll, we'll move on to Brighton. And I think let's just get straight into picking our team. Because that, the, the, what I wanted to do with this, I, I think, and you lads might disagree, but I think there's really only three decisions. But let's... Only, normally there's hardly any. Well, well, well <laughs> yeah. I, obviously, Alisson's in goal, goes without saying. I would say Trent, uh, Robertson... Are you saying Trent? Van Dijk. There you go. So I'm, well, I'm, oh, to, that's the I'm straight away saying, did you play Gomez or do you play Trent? Because what's Gomez? I know Trent is the vice-captain and he's quite clearly... Probably, the, well, he's definitely the best passer of the ball yeah. that they've got. He's got, you know, he's the most creative player they've got in that sense from that kind of that position. But he's absolutely not the best defender they've ever had. You think Karim Matoma as one of us? Ronaldinho yeah. prime. And I'm not saying he's a terrible defender because he's not. I'm just no. saying is that there are better defenders in, in Liverpool's defence than Trent Alexander-Arnold. He'd be the first to admit that, which is why he's he's going line to this hybrid position because he wants he, he thinks he's more effective further upfield, which he is. Um, but Joe Gomez, what, he hasn't done anything oh, wrong to, no, when no, he no. started the games to suggest that he shouldn't be started. And you look at the Matoma thing, you look at the fact Trent was out for four games, he made sub, came, on against, came off the bench against uh, Tottenham, he didn't play the full game, did he, against, uh, against Union on mm. Thursday, he got substituted for Gomez. So if Klopp did play Gomez at right back, I don't think anybody would be that surprised because there's other reasons than just the form of the yeah, players to yeah, take yeah, into yeah. consideration. Yeah, it would not be like a dropping of Trent, would it? You know, for, especially because he's, he's just come back. Okay, well, yeah, you made a decent argument. Well, we'll go on. Let's have let's have the full back lines from both here. Because I was going to say, I think that the centre back pecking order, as we talked about with Quanza, I wouldn't say that he's he's in contention for this, but it's very interesting that Matip was sat on the bench on the Thursday night, and I would expect him to start on Sunday now. But I don't think he'll start. I think he had an absolute nightmare at Brighton last time. That's certainly true. Yeah, that yeah. may well play. Where Van Dijk did line. not play, to be yeah. fair. And yeah, it was him and Canati. But Canati yeah. had the lesser of the nightmare. Mm. And having said that about Gomez, I think Trent will play. <laughs> 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 that's, what, that's what I think will happen. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be Van Dijk and I think it'll be Canati. I think Canati, I think, will be in ahead of Matip. That is always going to be the long, that is the mm. long-term plan. Yeah. And as we've thought, in fact, that's far, far away away as the a ghost sorry as the Champions League final with, where it was Canati and Van Dijk and everybody knew then it was the first choice but so Canati missed two games didn't he this season with a muscle problem and Matip's responded really really well been mm. well impressed with him but you just know that it's going to be almost certainly Canati playing no again it's not dropping Matip 
it's just the restoration, as it were, of the, the person who's going to be leading Liverpool's defence for years to come. Yeah. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That's, uh, yeah, that's certainly the long-term one. How would you go for Sunday, Ghosty? I mean, you can see what Liverpool miss when, when Trent doesn't play, when Gomez gets it in certain areas. And, and he, is, he is sort of improving on that side of his game. He put in a lovely ball for Diaz last night, didn't he, as soon as you come on? Yeah. So it's difficult, really. I can see Doyle's points about putting Gomez in there as a little bit more, you know, solid defensively, particularly against Matoma, who, who does like to turn around, doesn't he? Trent having just come back. I think maybe giving Trent half an hour, starting with Gomez and Robertson at left back, and I'm just gonna give Canate the nudge ahead of Matip and, and Van Dijk. I change your mind. Gomez is playing. Gomez is in. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, I'll go Trent, Matip, Van Dijk, and Robertson. Really? Um, moving on to midfield, I think this is the one where it's arguably even more interesting. And Thursday was, you know, there were auditions all over the place. Where mm. there were ones where I think you know at least two, if not all three, midfielders could could regard themselves as potentially successful. What would be your three for this one, Doyle, in the absence of Curtis Jones? Well, Soboslai have played McAllister, but I don't think McAllister's playing in the defensive midfield issue, yeah. position, I should say. I think it'll be Endo. I think that's why he got subbed at half time, because it was mm. a rearranged, a, a pre arranged, sorry. Um, substitution along with the position Salah Nunes went off as well. I think it's time for Endo to. I mean, it wasn't at the Leicester game, but I believe you, you, did, you said he did particularly well in yeah, the second half. Second I, half thought, yeah. I thought he played all right. Against Union, and I know that these teams are not the same level as Brighton, but Brighton are coming back off their own European trip. They played at Marseille, they got beat 6 1 in Villa, Villa last yeah. weekend, so they're conceding a lot of goals. But it was only the other week that they won 3 1 at United, and the mystery at the moment just about anyone could win at United. <laughs> um, although, you know, do you reckon we could win at United? As in us, not Liverpool. Just Echo, Echo yeah, FC. Yeah, yeah. No, Echo FC, you've got a glaring weakness in goal, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to United. Who yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would play Endo. I think now's the time uh, to see exactly what he's made of and if he's anything like what Klopp expects him to be. And just look at the player himself. He looks a lot more confident mm. in his game and the others are trying to appreciate his own game. And also, it'll mean that McAllister will be able to play a little bit further yeah, field in the position where in the summer when he was playing all of those games, he was brilliant. Yeah. You got along with that ghosting? Yeah, I think so. You know, it was interesting listening to Klopp talk about McAllister last night. He said, We haven't got a position for him. He's just a really good player. So we put him in there and, and he does the business for us. I must say, I'm not too convinced with him as the number six at the moment. I think there have been times where he's been overrun a little bit and that's not his natural game. So it'd be. A, Interesting seeing where he, he'd like to play as, as more of as, num, as a number eight, and I suppose that comes back to Liverpool's failure, I guess, to recruit a real world class number six. Endo um, is looking to become a, a staple of the, the squad and the team, so it's a big chance for him, I think, to put him in and um, stand the tide of those Brighton attacks. And yeah, I think he's done well enough to, to give him a go, but I think Graham Birch on the flip side has given Klopp. Yeah, something else to really think about yesterday, but that means dropping McAllister back into that number six position and um, the problems that come with that, you know, away at Brighton. So it's um, obviously a start. You know, I think we're all massively big fans of him, aren't we? And what we've seen so far. But I think he'll go with Endo, McAllister, and Zabersley. Mm. I think regardless of which defensive midfield is available, you got to play one at Brighton. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree with that. I mean, my initial temptation was to put Zabersley left. 
McAllister deep and Elliot on the right. But I think if I'm playing Trent and if Liverpool do play Trent, maybe you want Sobosly on the right to just help. The, the, the only other thing, if McAllister's playing deep, I want to see him in a two. Yeah. Whether it's 4 4 2 as Liverpool played, basically when he went off and Jones and uh, Sobosly were very, very good together. Mm. And I think Liverpool do have that bit of tactical flexibility. And if, you know, it depends on which players are available, but. If it ends up that it's Endo and McAllister deep, I wouldn't be massively surprised by that either. Mm-hmm. Could mm-hmm. well work. Yeah, okay. And then, ghostly the, the attack. Now, this is so difficult. Again, I would say, and my temptation would be Diaz, Salah, Nunes. But then uh, Jota and Nunes had what I would describe as typical Jota and Nunes games on, on Thursday, yeah. where yeah. one didn't do much and scored. The other don't did everything for, but Don't forget score. Jota can't play. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that is absolutely very true. So is it is it as simple as... <laughs> I'm just doing. I'm just doing. Yeah. Well, Conor Gakpo's injured as well, isn't he? Yeah. Obviously, Jota's suspended. But no, I, I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of Jota had a Jota game and Nunes had a Nunes game. Um, it's funny because first half, I was thinking the, the exact same thing about both of them. You know, neither of them were doing too much, mm. but both of them were playing as you might expect it in a weird way. Um, I think Nunes will will be a big. Helpful Liverpool if Brighton look to push up and try and play their natural game. I think that'll leave gaps in behind and, and he can really exploit that with the balls into space. That might come into you thinking with Trent, can he pick the passes there? Does obviously certainly can. McAllister. So I think Nunes will be licking his lips at this one. Salad is salad, of course, and you know that there aren't too many options either, so Diaz does start. But that would have been my front three anyway, regardless if if Gakpo and Jota were ready. Are you gonna play Jota? <laughs> <laughs> Are they the three for you, Dory? The ones who Funny are enough, yes. Eligible? Yeah. <laughs> no, three. No, I'm not Ben Doak. I think he um, he'll be playing for the under twenty ones. Whoever they're playing, who are they playing? I can't remember. Anyway, moving on. Not sure. Well, all that is left to do is is predictions. I'm going to be traditional and say three one Liverpool. Three one. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this, this season's in thing. Come, back, come back to me in a minute. Okay, coffee. I'm going to go one nil. Salah penalty. Oof. Specific, Victoria. Um, what I would say is, for a start, I think it's going to be too old. And I think that that would be a good result. I think, bearing in mind everything that's happened for Liverpool so far this season, bedding in new players, including players they weren't expecting, playing a lot of the games without any players, because, they, well, not the full complement anyway, um, and having to mix and match players. I th- and, and it has to be said, on a way record, that with Chelsea away, Newcastle away, Wolves where they got beat 3-0 away, Tottenham away, that last season that is, and then Brighton, where they got battered away last season. The, that's a very tough start on the road. And I think some, that has been overlooked slightly. So if Liverpool can get a point from this game, mm. I think they'd be more than happy. Because even if City beat Arsenal, what would that, they'll leave them four points behind them. I think it would be a the t- two at the moment. So the two, five. So if, yeah. Yeah. No, before, would they? If City beats Arsenal? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, points, yeah. 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 So I think to be that close, I think if they lose, I think it'll be... They'd be real down. I don't think they deserve it from what they've done so far this season if they end up getting beat. But obviously, in the context of the full thing, not the context of the game itself. Yeah. But I think if, especially with what happened at Tottenham, have we mentioned that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I do think if they can get a draw, you've got to be happy with that. And then they can just look after the international breakers, what I think. And I'm not just, you know, okay, no, the first game against Everton. Mm. Um, more presentable opportunities for points in the next few games. Indeed, indeed. Excellent, right? We'll, we'll leave it there. I think. 
apart from me trying to field an ineligible player, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say well done, boys, good process. Well done, well done, well done that. Um, Did you have that written down, Sean? Uh, somewhere, yeah. somewhere, at least in the back of my head. But yeah, we will be back on Monday when Liverpool have either won 1 0, 3 1, or drawn 2 all at Brighton. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 